This week on Priority One, we trek out Star Trek First Contact with director and star Jonathan Frakes, Brian Fuller's Mirror Universe, some salty rumors, and Legos. In Star Trek Gaming, Star Trek Online reveals the 2020 summer event ship winner. It celebrates the year of Klingon and helps with Zoom meeting fatigue. Later, of course, we'll open healing frequencies for your incoming messages. RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 459 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Your weekly recap and review of all the major news happening in the Star Trek multiverse. This episode was recorded live on Tuesday, Cinco de Mayo, and available for download or streaming on Friday, May 8th at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kat. Josotoni. And in our audio booth is our chief engineer, Skiffy. Hola. Before we jump into the news, we want to invite you to join in on the weekly conversations, whether via social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast, on Twitter or Instagram at Priority One Pod, or by email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Captains, as you know, this is a volunteer production, and none of us get paid for the work that we contribute to producing this show from week to week. We're all just a bunch of dedicated, talented, volunteers with a passion for Star Trek. In order to finance the running costs of this production, we turn to Patreon and our patrons. Each month, you can contribute to the running costs of our show and also get some very interesting perks in exchange, like our extra podcast that we call After Hours. And remember, that's exclusive to our patrons over at Patreon.com. So just run a search for Priority One Podcast over at Patreon.com and links, of course, will be in the show notes. We're also looking for new members to join the team. We're in desperate need for someone with community management skills to help with our social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. So if you've got some time and want to join us as we carve our own little corner in the Star Trek universe, email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. We're leading with Jonathan Frakes again, and we'd apologize if we thought it was necessary, but it's not. The man is a treasure. So, what did the actor, director, and all-around entertaining Frakes do this time? He did a live watch of Star Trek First Contact with IGN, and he did not disappoint. Frakes joined IGN's Watch From Home Theater to stream a live chat of the 1996 classic and, as usual, had some interesting insight and entertaining takes on the film. In regards to rumors that special effects house Industrial Lights and Magic wanted to add the Millennium Falcon to the film, Frakes replied, quote, 
No, but I like it, and it's a rumor I will continue to spread. <laughs> Frakes also credited Ron Moore, Rick Berman, and Brandon Braga's script for the movie's success, citing the comedic interludes. Quote, And that is the key, one of the keys to the success of this film, is those comic beats are peppered in, they're momentary, and then, they re, then we restart the engine. I think that's one of the real tricks to Ron and Brandon's script that not always heralded as important and yet vital to uh, especially an action-adventure movie. But Jonathan Frakes answered the real question that's been plaguing Star Trek fans for years. What's with the Riker chair maneuver? That started in, in 10 forward because the backs of the chairs at 10 forward were so low. It was easy. And now I thought, this is really a hot dog ass thing to do. Nobody's going to let me do this. And then, and then nobody stopped me. It's such a cocky, unattractive, kind of bad cowboy move. The two-hour movie commentary is chock full of information, including how Alfre Woodard became Jonathan Frake's godmother, Jordy without a visor, and Patrick Stewart's body. Follow our link in the show notes to give it a watch. I watched this live last Saturday and it was it was great. Uh, that is one of my favorite moments when he talks about how the Riker maneuver started. He goes on after that to talk about, he goes, and then I realized that the chair in the ready room was basically the same height. But he also explained he never did it to the first time he saw a chair. You always had to do it twice, you know, stand up and measure the chair twice to make sure that there was enough clearance to pull it off. My other takeaway from that interview is he uh, explains how he gets the nickname Two Takes Freaks, which is not quite what everybody had thought. What is it? Uh, essentially, in one of the scenes of First Contact when he was directing, he they did a scene. He looks over at the sound uh, sound engineer. He looks over at the DP, and they both you know have nods. And everybody had agreed that on the first take of doing something, they had exactly what they needed. And then one of the executives was on set and walks up to him and says, "No, you you can't cut and print one." You have to do at least two takes, Frakes. And so uh -huh. two takes, Frakes. That's good logic in the film industry. You never want one because if that gets damaged, you don't have a backup. So you'll, you often hear one more for safety. Cool. Well, be sure to check it out. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. It's been a long road getting from there to here. All the way back in 2016 when we could go outside and give hugs to people. Seasoned Star Trek writer Brian Fuller was given the proverbial keys to the castle. He was put in charge of bringing Star Trek back to television. After his departure in 2017, we learned a few things about his now defunct vision, including the pitch that the series be an anthology. Fast forward to this week, and we learn a bit more about Fuller's unfulfilled plans. Sitting down with Robert Burnett for his YouTube show Observations, Fuller shed light on his vision of the darker side of Trek, more specifically, the Mirror Universe. The thing that really fascinated me in setting down and sort of crafting the story for a discovery was just the the human condition and you and I thought that there's elements in the mirror universe that we have seen that have that have sort of like boiled to the broadest ends of the spectrum and everything felt a little right. binary and and what I really wanted to do in setting out is looking at the minutia of simple decisions that ca have a cascade effect on our lives and so it's not about gold lame sashes and goatees versus no sash <laughs> and clean shade <laughs> it's more about like I we are at forks in the road every moment in our lives and we either go left or right. Fuller elaborated saying quote 
there wasn't necessarily the mirror universe that we know from all of the other series. It was something that was closer to our timeline and experience so you can still recognize the human being and go like, what did I do? How did that seem like a good decision for me in that moment? And how do I continue with my life forward? And everything was sort of an extrapolation out on that. So there were things that I wanted the mirror universe to function in a narrative exploration of like, oh, if I just hadn't done that one thing, everything would be better. Right. As opposed to like, I don't recognize that person. I don't know who that person is because they're, they're, they're a diametric opposite of who I am. What was that show where they go to like parallel universes, Sliders? Yeah. Is that that show? Mm-hmm. That sounds more like Sliders or that episode of Doctor Who where Donna turns left instead of right. I, I'm fascinated. I really wish we could have seen more of Brian Fuller's vision because you, you think of the mirror, mirror universe, it's just a parallel like one universe over instead of everything just being the opposite of ours. I think that's fascinating where you were like, instead of making this one choice, you did this and this is where your life ended up. That would have been really, really interesting. You know, Star Trek, I think, lends itself really well to a format like an anthology. There is just so much in the universe that has been just touched on briefly, you know, that that Star Trek Online, for instance, has done a really good job in converting that into a playable, entertaining format for a video game. I think that I feel like it was a missed opportunity to start restart the Star Trek television franchise and not doing it as an anthology. I think we're getting something like that. There are a number of series in development, so we're going to get that kind of anthology only in each chapter of the anthology is going to have its own show and they'll be running in parallel. So, I mean, we're going to get that. Well, that brings us to our first community question this week. What do you think of Brian Fuller's explanation of the Mirror Universe? Let us know in the comment section for this episode at PriorityOnePodcast.com or by keeping an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook or Twitter when we ask you this community question. This next story requires Nancy Crater, M113 creature levels of salt. A pinch won't do, so get ready for some modeling. Could Star Trek and the newly reintegrated Viacom CBS be on the market? Film critic, comic book author, and YouTuber Grace Randolph thinks she may have the answers. In a tweet dated May 1st, Randolph said, quote, Okay, here's some Friday tea for you. As we've been hearing, Apple might buy Disney, but also Netflix might buy Viacom, CBS slash Paramount. Super rumor stage, but that's what's being sipped in Hollywood right now, end quote. Rumors of Apple purchasing Disney have been floating around for a couple of weeks now, though. Nasdaq.com speculates that the acquisition is unlikely. But what about Netflix purchasing Viacom, CBS? Rumors cite, Bounding into comics linked an article to financial website Seeking Alpha, which cited Viacom CBS as a prime takeover target. Further, Grace Randolph, the tweeter from earlier in the story, posits on her YouTube program Beyond the Trailer that the acquisition would give Netflix access to Viacom CBS's library and franchises and, quote, This would make Netflix a movie studio, a movie studio proper, where they could make the films that they want to make, and they would be Netflix-owned, but they wouldn't be Netflix-branded. In short, Netflix could release Paramount movies in theaters without upsetting Netflix subscribers. 
Some naysayers point to the obvious fact that Netflix is currently running a substantial debt and could not float the estimated $5 billion acquisition cost. But what about another streaming service, one owned by a billionaire Trekkie with a walk-on part in Star Trek Beyond, the Jeff Bezos-led Amazon Prime? There is a lot of fun speculation going on. For a link to the articles discussed, check out the show notes. I can't believe or imagine a world where Apple ends up buying out Disney. I think that Disney is just in a position to not be bought. They are just, I mean, they're killing it with Disney+. Plus. However... Well, I want to say before you move on on topics, I think Apple and Disney is a match made in heaven. I, I think that's a foregone... I thought t- 20 years, 10 years ago, I thought that was a foregone conclusion that that would happen. But would Apple fully outright purchase Disney or would it just be some kind of agreement like the way Netflix had an agreement with uh, Disney and Marvel for things like Daredevil and Jessica Jones and all the other Marvel shows that were on Netflix. Oh, I mean, if anybody could afford to buy Disney, it would be Apple. Whether it would be a flat out cash transaction, I highly doubt that. It would be some sort of I I don't know how that kind of aspect of business works, but it's usually some sort of merger and I see Tony is has a very active looking face. I had a look at their <laughs> consolidated financials uh, before the show. It's at least theoretically possible for Apple to acquire acquire Disney. And Apple has so much cash just lying around that uh, they could probably they wouldn't fund the entire thing out of petty cash, but they would a substantial cash chunk would go along with it. And in this day and age, that's a that's a huge pot sweetener. When people are buying seven hundred dollar wheels, then I guess they would have some petty yeah, cash. Yeah, they have lots. And 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 and. They're doing a bond offering. Apple is uh, selling bonds in this market today, which means that, number one, people are hungry for a stable company to go out and do things. And number two, they're looking for places to park cash. So if there was going to be, if, if now is the time to do it, if they wanted to do it. I, I also don't think, I agree with you though, Elijah, I don't think Apple is going to buy Disney because it would be an awfully big transaction to swallow. And they and Disney just bought Fox. So that's going to, that would be tra- swallowing something that just got swallowed, which is, which problem? I don't see Apple buying Disney. I just don't see them doing that because it's going to split the business. I mean, they, Apple's a technology company, not a IP. But they need content company. for their gear. Oh, they're trying very, very hard to change that, though. Apple Plus was their take on that. Well, maybe they could buy Viacom CBS. <laughs> that's what I'm saying here. That was the point I was going for. And that's, yeah, that's where really the core of the discussion should be, right, is what to do about Viacom CBS. Viacom CBS seems to always be either one, whether it was Paramount or CBS prior to the merger or or even years before, has always tried real hard to lead the pack unsuccessfully, right? With you, you know, going going as far back as UPN, going then, you know, moving on when they started to, you know... They were trying to copy Fox. They weren't leading the pack. And then try to move into streaming because they were out roughly around the same time Netflix was first released. So they were one of the first to start streaming services. But as much as they try to lead the pack or as much as they start a trend, they never position themselves in a way to be successful. And then let's, you know, you move into their franchises. CBS has some pretty successful shows, sure. But Paramount often drops the ball terribly with their franchises. Just two nights ago, I I seem to have wanted to cause myself pain because I put myself through two hours of Transformers the last night. (laughs) 
Voluntarily? Did you lose a bet? Oh. No, I was just like, you know what? You know, I like I like Transformers, and I liked the very first one, the first Michael Bay one, and then Bumblebee was good, and and it just but but every time they start a franchise, Transformers, Ninja Turtles, uh, GI Joe, um, their movie monsters, they sometimes will start a franchise off real strong, but it just ends up collapsing like they just don't know how to sustain a solid ip so please please <laughs> netflix buy viacom cbs nope grab all that content and all that television content right we're talking about all the cbs uh terrestrial content available big bang theory and several other ones and start producing some amazing science fiction again whether gi joe whether transformers whether star trek it just it they fumble real bad and I would love for Netflix to buy them out. I think Netflix would have a hard time adapting to terrestrial broadcast world. I think that would be a very unlikely move. Amazon. Amazon's a much, yeah, that would make a lot more sense. Amazon's probably going to buy them. I don't care. You know what? Yes, fine. Let Amazon buy them. I hope that they do. Just, they, it's, and it's not, the problem is not necessarily the creative minds behind these franchises, right? I mean, you know, Ron Moore and, you know, Brandon Braga Iris Steven Bear, these are some very talented artists that know how to make television, but often were tied at the at the wrist by corporate decisions. Iris Steven Bear has no qualms about censoring his opinions about, you know, what what the the suits wanted of him for Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine could have been amazing. The red the, the latter Sumner Redstone years were not kind to the Viacom, CBS, Paramount family, and and now that he's passed from active management and his daughter's kind of in charge, things are a little better. But I think it's too little, too late. They've got good a good content library. They have the terrestrial distribution from broadcast, but that industry is kind of in decline, and they just didn't catch up fast enough on the streaming stuff. They need a better partner in streaming, and that's either Netflix or Amazon Prime. Amazon Prime has the installed user base and the customer base to get their stuff out. Yeah, I blame. Less- Moonbez, really, instead I am of too. necessarily yeah, yeah. Subner Redstone. But I He's also, yeah. Skiffy, you responded, but I was, it was like really killing me to not say something earlier about uh, Cairo 47's intellectual property comments. What was that? Uh, he, Cairo says that intellectual properties are a misnomer when it should be called content. And no, it is intellectual property because it, it has value. <laughs> and it's not like land property. So there's a legal term, like it's um, a term of art. <laughs> so Banks loan yeah. money against it. That's how you know it's real. It's a, Yeah, I'm like, it's collateral. It's, a, you know, it's something you can use. Well, and, and my response was content is something that you can consume somehow and you make content using some sort of intellectual property. So intellectual property is an idea, such as Star Trek, the brand, and the idea of being in space. And you make all kinds of content with that. Books, games, TV shows, now movies, you've done it, Skippy. toys, now you've done it. et cetera. Now you've done it. But am I wrong? No, you're not wrong, but you're inexact. And that's even worse, maybe. <laughs> this is a, cl- a public service announcement from, from a lawyer to everybody else out there. When a lawyer says it's a term of art, just get a bowl of popcorn, something fizzy to drink, and just settle in. Because there's going to be, there's there's details involved that, that are that are extremely complicated. The, 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 the term of art, term of art, is a term of art. Okay, but at Cairo 47, you are correct that ideas cannot be property. It's not the ideas that is what is being protected here. It's the expression of the ideas, which is copyrightable and therefore protected. Under Do you see how you were wrong just now?
now, Skiffy? Do you see how you were wrong? You were wrong just then. Fair enough. And fair I, told, enough. I, I warned you. I warned you, Skiffy. I, I'm I, expressing an idea right now. <laughs> All right. Well, you can file a copyright of application. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. All this is owned by Priority One Productions, LLC. All of it. All of it is owned by Purdy Productions LC. All rights reserved. <laughs> I was just about to say it. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> oh my God, Tony and I should read a disclaimer. Yeah, definitely, we definitely podcast. should. <laughs> in the credits, in the credits. Classic. How about that for another community question, Captains? If Viacom CBS were to be bought out by another major production house like Netflix, Amazon, or Apple, which would you prefer? Apple, Netflix, or Amazon? Let us know in the comments section for this episode. And of course, you have the opportunity of replying to our community question posts on Facebook and Twitter. Speaking of fun, because we just were, who doesn't like Legos? The Danish building block toys inspired, entertained, and enlightened the lives of people across the globe for decades. And despite the fact that Star Trek has never been included in the Lego block world, it doesn't mean fans can't bring it in themselves. That's exactly what Reddit user M2M did using Lego's free digital designer. Starting three weeks ago, M2M M has created the cast of the next generation, Deep Space Nine, and Voyager, as well as sets from the first season of TNG in chronological order, starting with Encounter at Farpoint and currently ending at Heart of Glory. These are hugely fun, intricate, and creative, and we recommend you follow the link to have a look at them all. You know, it's funny that we covered this because uh, Allie and I were talking about things to do in quarantine, um, and I had thought, like, oh, well, maybe maybe a Lego set, you know, and, and Lego, unfortunately, doesn't do anything with Star Trek. It's uh, it's because they've got the Star Wars IP. Right. So even the Mega Block versions of Star Trek are either not available, like, a, like they had an Enterprise, TOS Enterprise, but that's super expensive now, and so maybe I'll, uh, maybe I'll look into this and see about using their sets and build something from scratch. You, you, you build it digitally in their little creator thing, and I thought once upon a time you could hit an order pieces button. I thought you could do that, but maybe not. Uh, but this has been years since I used it. Uh, when my son was younger, we used to uh, play with it sometimes. And I had that, I had the Enterprise D, the Megablocks version of the Enterprise D, and that's in a box around here somewhere. So I, I've, I've got that here somewhere. Is a Megablocks just an off-brand Lego? Yes. As speaking of IP... Speaking of intellectual property, there was a court case a long time ago that said that they couldn't patent the Lego interlocking stud and hole design. So everybody just used that system and all the same measurements and everything. So you can enter. That's why Lego pieces interact with these off-brand ones, too, because uh, they lost a big lawsuit. Well, captains, watch your toes if you've got kids. That's all the news we have to trek out this week. Now let's find out what happened in the world of Star Trek gaming. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Just under 20,000 players voted in Star Trek Online's contest to choose the next Rizian Summer Event ship, and the results of the voting have now been announced. In a pair of posts on May 1st, the official STO Twitter account declared Nick Dugid's design as the winner, taking nearly 38% of votes. The senior environment artist's ship design will now be fully developed by concept artist Hector Ortiz and handed over to the dev teams to realize the ship for 2020's Summer Event on Ryza. Congratulations to Nick Dugid, and also to the other three game devs who contributed to the contest. Christian Griffith's design 
design came in a close second with 32% of the votes, while Jesse Heinig and Mike Fadem's designs took in 16 and 13% respectively. If Nick's design wasn't your personal favorite, perhaps you'll find some solace in another STO account tweet declaring, quote, you never know where these other designs might end up, end quote. That's awesome. I did not vote for that ship, but oh well. <laughs> I did. It was a hard It was a hard vote. All four designs Yeah, it was really hard. Well. I voted for Mike's ship. I thought Nick's was kind of the most consistent with what a Rizian ship would be. We recently shared Thomas Maroney's surprise reveal of an updated Klingon Bird of Prey model, and now Cryptic has revealed that this year holds much more excitement for the Klingon-loving players like me. In fact, 2020 has been dubbed by the game as the Year of Klingon. A game news blog dated April 29th announced a new major multi-part Klingon-focused storyline set in the game's current timeline of 2411. The blog acknowledged that the game's current Klingon arc is both well-loved by players and at the same time lacking many recent technical improvements. Cryptic said, quote, We're spending time and resources to give these pieces of content visual and gameplay facelifts. Over the next 12 months, maybe more, you'll see new Klingon character models for some of our classic characters like Jempok, updated skins for the classic Klingon ships like the Bird of Prey, new environments and cutscenes to refresh this old but beloved content, end quote. Like the recent Star Trek Discovery content releases, the Year of Klingon will be released in installments. To communicate their efforts and generate excitement over this time, there will be regular spotlights on the ongoing development. The first, hashtag Stovacore Saturdays, will reveal pieces of updated content weekly on game social media accounts. One, hashtag Stovacore Saturday, has already gone live, providing a brief video of updated Klingon character textures like hairstyles and skin complexions. Other outlets to come are artist streams on the official Twitch account and weekly team interviews on the 10 Forward Weekly community stream. All right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and ask why? Not so much because I don't think any improvement to the game is unworthy, but I just feel like time and again, we've been told that investing development time into Klingons wasn't ever really at the top of the list because the player base tends to lead in the majority for Federation players. So I am happy for the fans of the Klingon Empire. You are an honorable group. I just wonder what the business plan is for this or where I can speculate they're expecting another big chunk of players to come in sometime in the next six to 12 months probably to coincide with the release of the animated cartoons both the lower decks one and the one that's supposed to come on with the Nickelodeon the one aimed at younger kids so they're going to refresh that content make it look good make it look consistent with the rest of the game because they expect a marketing push with the release of those other series and so they're clean in house for in anticipation of that happening I have a theory that this will finally introduce the merger of the Klingon and the Federation factions. That's what I think, Skiffy. You get out of my head. <laughs> that would be cool. It's a fun theory, but I'm gonna, there's a technical block there. I'm going to play devil's advocate and say the problem with that is that a long time ago, Al told us that baked into the very fundamental code of the system was the two factions, the Klingon and the Federation. It's why the Romulans, you have to choose. you got to pick one or the other because the the, 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 the game itself is... is blue and red. Right, but didn't they also say recently that, you know, there's some game-changing developments in the works? So maybe this is part of that? A, a code refactor? I also, re- yeah, I, I maintain that, that, and we've heard Al say it too, that code can do anything. It's just a matter of the resources needed to get that done. 
Yeah, yeah. And over over guard frequency, and we all know that whenever you think something's wrong with the game, all you have to do is just code it. So maybe they're gonna update all that stuff so that if you create any new character, you can pick Klingon or Federation, and that's why they're updating it. Could be huge, huge, huge work though. Huge amount of work. I'm also with Thomas. James in the chat who had said that, you know, it's great as long as, you know, we don't have to necessarily play that content or create a no. character to earn certain rewards. If they make it easy for Federation players to earn items that are not simply exclusive to KDF players, then that would be cool. But they don't tend to do that, right? I mean, you know, you had the uh, Gemadar, and that was, you had to create a Gemadar character to get those items, even cross-faction items that unlocked for your account. So if they do a revamp as extensive as we hope they would for something like the Klingon story arc and characters and whatever, my guess is that you'd have to create a Klingon character or have your existing Klingon character redo some of these these events. But, I mean, typically, though, in the, historically, if they've done something like that, they release it as a expansion or, a, you know, a big thing, right? You know, whether the temporal thing or the Jemadar thing that you mentioned. Oh, recruit events, yeah. Yeah, it's usually a big to-do, and it, they call it an expansion or a, or a whatever. This They're saying here that we're going to release it in pieces. And that's 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 typically not when they create like the, the if you have like a delta recruit or a gamma recruit it's typically a big splash. Uh, it doesn't seem like they're doing that. Maybe either. they're just preparing it for that for next year maybe. So, speculation time. Do they know something we don't know about development of series? Is there a Klingon series coming? Is uh, Worf going to finally get his TV show? Let us know in the comment section <laughs> down below. I would watch yeah. that. <laughs> so, what we need now is a uh, is a founder playable <gasps> faction. Yeah, Ooh, let's do that. Would, yeah. You could shape Cardassians, shift. right? We're finally oh. doing Cardassians now, right? We have Cardassians. Well, like actual Cardassians? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actual like faction? faction? Oh, no. well, they're not a faction. They're a yeah. char- yeah, character they're you can play. Yeah, yeah, but they're not a faction. Playable Borg. Let's just take it all the way. <laughs> yeah, so, someone needs to drive around with a big cube. Play, playable Borg where you're forced to do somebody else's goals. Oh, like, my you can't God. Do anything You'd be in the collective. It's just autoplay. <laughs> <laughs> You know what I've always thought? The way to get PvP to come back is just let somebody be a Borg cube and let people wail on them. Oh, that would be, be a fun PvP scenario. There have been other games where devs, like Star Wars Galaxies, if you had a player-run event, you were doing a player-run party with a that got enough traction, the devs would log in as like a level 500 boss, and they would be controlling this boss that would you know didn't fit in, in the game, wasn't normally there, and yeah, you could have this community like take down this, this uh, dev and get treats, get uh, special Yeah, but loot. you can't do that in Star Trek Online because of the fractured instances. Yeah, but code can do anything. You just program that. What's your problem? <laughs> you just program it. You just put in the code. That brings us to our first community question for Star Trek Online. What are your thoughts on the KDF revamp coming to Stowe? What do you hope to see? Let us know on our website, social media pages, or email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Don't video call for the job you have. Video call for the job you want. At least that's what Ambassador Kell declared in another official blog post this week, where he shared 16 Zoom meeting backgrounds created from locations within the game. The backgrounds were all created and provided by player Primer 13. They include a wide selection of ship bridges, plus important locations like Starfleet Academy and the Klingon High Council Chambers. If you want to join your next video conference from the bridge of the USS Enterprise, just follow the link in our show notes. The second part of Stowe's current four-part event campaign has just begun on May 7th on all platforms. 
Players can participate in two featured TFOs to protect the living planet Pavo from the Terran Empire. Completing daily progress in the event will earn players points towards campaign rewards such as either 1000 lobby or 200 lobby and a 100% off coupon for a tier 6 sea store ship. Completing 14 days worth of progress during this Defense of Pavo event will unlock the following prizes. 25,000 dilithium ore, 3 featured TFO reward boxes containing a choice of 1 spec point or 1 enhanced universal tech upgrade, and the new universal kit module, Kid Drones. The Kids, or Kinetically Impelled Detachable Drones, were last seen protecting Commander Jet Reno aboard the wreck of the USS Hiawatha in Star Trek Discovery. This kit module provides both a passive mode and an activated mode. When passive, the module spawns one drone with limited capabilities that follows the character into combat. When activated, however, three drones will enter combat for a brief time and more effectively damage and disable foes. For the full details on everything about the new event and its prizes, plus a glimpse at Star Trek's 2020 roadmap, check out the link in our show notes. Well, that's all we've got this week for Star Trek Online and Gaming News. Now let's open up Hailing Frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing Frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, Hailing Frequencies are now open, and we're ready to receive all of your incoming messages. This week, our first community question was, will you be purchasing tickets for Star Trek Las Vegas 2020? On Twitter, Jason Smith wrote in, I was hoping to go this time, but with the virus and with it unknown when my job will reopen fully, it's a no for STLV. Oh, that's a shame, Jason. I would have loved to have meet you for the first time at, at STLV. Well, there will be others, I'm sure. From Twitter, Duncan Idaho 11 writes, Nope and nope. I really want to go to STLV at some point, but this year isn't the best with global circumstances, timing, and personal finances. Tyler Maxwell writes into PriorityOnePodcast.com, It really does seem like an unfortunate decision to try and push ahead with STLV by the various parties involved when other large events around the world have already preemptively canceled even in the fall and later this year. I just don't see many folks signing up to go to a convention in the current situation. Hopefully cooler, rational minds will prevail soon, so the event can be formally canceled and potential attendees can get their refunds. Holy cow, that a thousand times yes. I think that's going to be a weird year for attendees, like they're, they're going to have record low attendees, and I think they're going to have record low uh, performers, acts, uh, Celebrity, guests, yeah, hosts. Guess. Yeah, celebrity hosts. Well, right now, STLV just announced their 72nd guest in a social media post. I saw that. I didn't read who it was. But also something, and I don't remember if we talked about this when we talked about it last week, but there is there was a conventioning happening just a week prior to STLV that has already been canceled in Vegas. I don't know if it was in the Rio or whatnot, but there was a convention that had already been canceled. I don't know, man. I, I'm starting to lean towards not going. I don't know, man. It's just one of those things that it's just real. It's hard to decide now, but we're already in May. And by now, I think you guys know that I would be planning for Vegas by now kind of thing. You know, like I'd be already knee deep in, in making sure that, you know, we had the support needed to make it another successful week at STLV. But I can't imagine that they would do a convention. I really can't, you know, like, or they will. And like Skiffy said, going to be a ghost town. 
at the Rio. Yeah, the individual vendors are going to have to make a decision based on you know what kind of crowd sizes they think they're going to have. Uh, and I, I, I mean, it just doesn't seem like people are going to go. And if they are going to go, they may not have the sort of discretionary income that they would in a regular year. So even if they make the investment to go out there to, to sell the costumes and the posters and the and the clothes and all that other stuff, you know, they may not recoup their investment just because of the low turnout. So as far as I'm personally concerned, once San Diego Comic Con canceled, it was it was SDLV's responsibility to cancel as well. San Diego Comic Con was is in California, and their rules are much different versus what's going on in Vegas. I mean, just last week, the mayor of Las Vegas was like, "Use this as guinea pigs. Use my people as." A test bed for reopening America, well, and, which is that's insanity. Where, yeah, that, that's but, where social responsibility needs to come and prevail uh, ahead of what your government officials may be telling the you. The difference being that uh, contractually you point to the mayor of Las Vegas and the government of Nevada and you say there's no more emergency there, so you can't get out of your contracts, versus California where the government is saying social distancing, uh, no large gatherings, and then people can say, oh, the government told us we can't have a convention. I'm out of my contract now. That's the difference. That's the difference. Well, our second community question was, will you be purchasing La Sirena in Star Trek Online? From Facebook, Bud Mulder writes, you're kidding, right? A gamble for a ship in these times? That's a huge dream on. And from Facebook, Leon Andrews III says, my usual, I'll buy a couple of packs. If I get it, great. If not, Oh, well. Well, that wraps up episode 459 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. But there are more great shows available to you on the Roddenberry Podcast Network. Just visit podcasts.roddenberry.com for a complete list. Then be sure to subscribe to them all. More importantly, let your friends know that you're listening to podcasts on the Roddenberry Network. But we can't forget to send a special thanks to some of our Patreon supporters like Diana Gunther, Darnell Dwayne Ross, David K. Rutley, Joshua Selig, and Peter Archibald. And here's a reminder of what our community questions are for this week. First up, what do you think of Brian Fuller's explanation of the Mirror Universe? Our second community question, who would you rather take over Viacom CBS? Amazon, Netflix, or Apple? And in Star Trek Online news, what are your thoughts on the KDF revamp coming to the game? What do you hope to see? Captains, it's important to us that you get your voice heard and that you participate in the conversation. Leave us a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or find us on Twitter and Instagram at PriorityOnePod. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our patrons through Patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you cannot make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. Also, if you have some time to spare and are savvy at social media like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, we're looking for a community manager to join the team. So if you're interested, just send us an email to incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. It's the support of our volunteers and our listeners that keeps us going. And if you're still craving more, be sure to spend time with Winters, me, and the rest of the Priority One Armada. Saturday nights, the Armada broadcasts live to review the latest news from Star Trek Online and the Armada community, including spotlighting some of our amazing members. With regular giveaways, there is something for all Star Trek Online players, whether you are new or a veteran. Follow us on all our social media accounts for broadcast times, and if you'd like to join the Armada, visit PriorityOneArmada.com. 
Don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at GuardFrequency.com. Each episode, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And Heroes Rise brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to HeroesRisePodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, Roscoe, and Skiffy. Thanks to our producer, Jake Morgan, and associate producer, Shane Hoover, for helping us organize and write up our summary of the weekly headlines from the Star Trek multiverse. Thanks to our graphic artist, Henry Pomper, with support from Jason Smith of the Priority One Armada. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, our listeners, because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Ready weapons. Engage. Engage. You know, I'm the one who speaks fluent Spanish here. I speak and broken Spanish. Y'all, I mean, it's just y'all just appropriating. Thanks. Sorry. I'm not appropriating. I'm expanding my cultural boundaries. I studied I'm... Spanish for six years. I can, you know, butcher it as much as anybody else. I got eight. I can find my way to the airport and the bathroom and get a beer. I'm gonna, the, fact, I'm gonna... the fact that there's a nice delay before Elijah says anything in Spanish makes me think he's typing it into Google Translate first. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot, I was going to say something in Spanish. Google, help me out. Hey, Siri. <laughs> this is Skiffy, Trek It Out Sync 4. So are we supposed to hit record when you say one? Or when you say one, then pause, and then we hit record? Yeah, it's like one, then go. Trek it out in yeah. three. Because he used two. to say three, two, and then he'd pause, and we'd hit start on don't, one. Skiffy, Elijah, we don't. Elijah, don't, do not take don't. this bait. We have this yeah. countdown argument about a I'm timer not, and Elite I'm Dangerous, not. and it's gone on for years. Don't Do not engage. Do not engage. <laughs> okay. Do yeah, not engage. Trek it out in three, two. We're we supposed to start now. I think that's one of the real tricks to Ron and Brown, Bran, Ron and Brannon. This is Elijah feedback sync this one. This is Cat pushing the red button sync two. Wait, you pushed it now? <laughs> Wait, you're not oh, supposed up. to cut. Yes, yes. <laughs> This is Tony having entirely Tony's too much fun at Elijah's just... expense. Sync three. That's good. Feedback in three, two, one. The... Dang it. This week, I can't even do it. <laughs> this week, our friends. <laughs> Stop laughing. You're killing me. <laughs> Thanks to our audio editors, including Gray, William, Brandon, Rand, Daniel, and Roscoe. <laughs> Thanks for I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. <laughs>
podcast.roddenberry.com. The Roddenberry Podcast Network.